Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. So we started the series by looking at the gospel. I'm going to give you a bit of a map. Um, that's, that's not it. Uh, that is... Uh, there's a, there's a map. Is, there, is, is that on there? Yeah. So we started looking at the gospel. Um, a, a, what Paul in 1 Corinthians calls uh, the matters of first importance. And I want to remind you uh, today of what exactly we mean and what we're talking about when we say gospel. The gospel is what God has accomplished in and through. Uh, I want to say this, the sinless life. I want to find a happy medium here. Let me back up. The sinless life. Uh, the vicarious death, the triumphant resurrection, and the glorious ascension of King Jesus. That's the gospel. The gospel is something that is historical, that is true, that happened in real space time. It isn't something we do. Uh, The gospel is news of a new king, that uh, there is a new reality that has been ushered in through the life of this one person, Jesus Christ. And then we looked at the church, um, and, and the church being the place where God gets to show off what he can do with a community of broken, regular people like me and you. And then we looked at uh, the love, uh, love being the measure of our success. We cannot allow numbers or buildings or budgets to be the measure of our success, but real love, the way that we love one another, not just in, um, in theory, but in reality, uh, is what will be the measure of the success of this church And then we looked at prayer, how prayer is the very uh, lifeblood of this church, of any church. The matrix is glitching. Maybe Sebastian can help me out. We looked at prayer uh, and how prayer is simply this. It's it's simply lifting heart and mind up to God. I think prayer so often can be shrouded in shame or or guilt or uh, uh, or you know, something we don't know, something we don't we don't may not do very well. Uh, but I want to say, if you can think, you can pray, um, and if you can worry, you can pray really hard, uh, because simply prayer is just turning our thoughts and our minds and our hearts to God. And so, if we can ever worry, uh, worry is just bringing our thoughts and prayers to ourselves, just thinking uh, internally. Prayer simply is turning that uh, to the Father, who already knows what we. Need. And today we're going to be looking at emotional uh, health, um, and then next week, uh, service, uh, Lord willing, culture, uh, our mission on the 29th, uh, in uh, the first time that we'll be meeting in our new space. And then finally, on Feb 5th, we'll be going back to Luke 15 uh, uh, and preaching the, this, actually a, a similar uh, sermon that we preached at our launch on, on Find Home. And so, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for today. And today's just going to be an overview about emotional health. I'm not going to get into everything that needs to be said about this. Although I want to say this, that I will be hosting again an emotionally healthy spirituality and an emotionally healthy relationships course uh, later on in the year. So today I just want to ask three simple questions. What is it? What is emotional health? What do we, why do we need it? And how do we get it? So emotional health simply is this. Emotionally healthy discipleship is a way of life that helps us abide in the love of God by remaining present to God, by remaining present to ourselves, and by uh, remaining present to others for the sake of the world. 
It's not just a program, it's not just, uh, it's not simply language, it's actually a, a whole way to restructure your life around one single goal, friendship with God. That, that's why we exist. That, that, that is why uh, uh, we do what we do. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we quit our jobs and become monks. Emotionally, health, emotionally healthy discipleship is a way of life that actually integrates all of life. Whatever age you're at, whatever stage you're at, every single role that you occupy, we want to see all of that through the lens of our friendship with God. Because it's in the ordinary that God comes to us. Emotionally healthy spirituality is about waking up. It's about enjoying and living out of the love of God. It is, it is the reason why we exist. It deals with three overlapping or, or interlocking areas of our life. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves. There is such a thing as a relationship with, with self and our relationship with others. And if we're going to lead fruitful lives as disciples of Jesus, as apprentices of the King, for the sake of the world, then we need this. I want to remind you of what it is. It is a way of life that's going to help us, aid us, remain in the love of God by remaining present to God, to ourselves and others for the sake of the world. And I want to remind you, this is, this is it. This is why we exist. This is why we are formed in the ways of love. Everything we do, everything must support the mission of growing up in Christ and going out with Christ. That we would think like Jesus. That, you know, as, I, as, I, as I thought about y'all on, on the first, and as I, I really grieved not meeting together last week to kick the year off uh, with you, I thought about what is it that I want for these people? And as I've got, you know, oftentimes I'll go through the database and I'll pray for you. Um, what, what do I, I, I all I, I, I just want you to act like Jesus. Like that's, I just want you to act like, like Christ. I want you to grow up in him. I, I, I want you to embody the ethics of the kingdom like Jesus, that we would love like him, that we would all be Jesus lookalikes, that if Jesus were living today as you, that, that's what I want for you, that, that you would embody who he is. Him we proclaim. I want to remind you from the book of Colossians, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Every single, man, I was, I'm painting with Nick, right, and Rob's there and Janelle. I'm painting. I'm like, people better get saved in this church, right? Like, people better grow up. You know, this paint better not be for nothing, right? Like, we're, we're, we're toiling there so that you, we would have a space to grow up into who God is making us to be, and that we would then be a conduit, that we would be an avenue uh, that people would come to know and love and worship the King. This shouldn't come as a surprise uh, that we are committed uh, personally uh, to see Christ formed in ourselves and in others. And that's exactly what I believe emotionally, this framework of emotionally healthy, healthy discipleship is. It's a way of life that helps us remain in the love of God for uh, uh, helps us to remain in the love of God by remaining present to God, to ourselves, and for the sake of the world, for others. But the question is, why do we need it? I want every single one of us to grow up. I, I want every single one of us to breathe the gospel. I want you to see your world 
differently. I want to see you, I want you to see the world charged with the glory of God. Imagine if we were people who believed the gospel. I know we believe the gospel, but imagine if we were people who believed the gospel. If we were people who every single decision was, was put through the sieve of the gospel, not our finances or what we want to live or our aesthetic, but what if the gospel, the reality of who Jesus is and the fact that there are billions of people, millions in our city that are headed to damnation. Imagine, imagine if every decision we made was put through the lens of the gospel. And if we are going, if this is going to happen, if we're going to grow organically, we need healthy practices and structures, not just resolutions that will allow and aid that growth. None of us, not one of us, is going to stumble into holiness. We're not going to, by mistake, become like Jesus. That doesn't just happen without a plan. It's a pipe dream if we want to become like Christ and yet have nothing to actually aid us along the way. I grew up, as you know, uh, in, in the middle of Brooklyn. Uh, there were very little trees. It was a park about five blocks away, uh, but it wasn't until one summer uh, where my dad and I helped his cousin. I, I remember telling you guys this story where uh, my father had a cousin. He had an empty lot, and we actually uh, built a garden there. Like, I, I'd never seen a garden uh, up until that time. I was at 12 or 13. Believe it or not, I'd never seen, like, how things grow and, and the work that it takes to grow a bean or a, or a watermelon. And I, I, I remember having to, to dig the ground and aerate the soil and, 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 and just, you know, the manure, that wasn't a nice part of it. But you, you had to do things, ugly things, to be able to secure, the, like to make the ground be able to grow. Organic things don't just grow. You need work if they're going to be useful. We need structures to build on, all rooted in the reality of the gospel, the reality that there is a new kingdom. And this is what I've learned, that the more specific the language we can use for those systems and structures to help us grow, the greater ability we will actually have to use them well. And the problem in our generation is that we tend to have a faith that is a mile wide, but an inch deep. That, that, that's what it seems to be the truth. We carry with us the veneer of following Jesus, but our lives far more uh, uh, um, align with the values of our culture. I don't say this to shame you or me. This is just what I see in our culture. And we believe and we behave a certain way around certain people on certain days. But like chameleons, we can switch up when we feel the danger of not fitting in at work or at school. There are a few telltale signs that we're living from a shallow spirituality and why I believe emotionally healthy spirituality can help us out. When we care more about what others think about us than what God thinks about us. And I just need you to be, if you're not going to be honest with myself or even your friends or your spouse, be honest with yourself. Like, just be honest here in this moment with yourself before the presence of God, when we care more about what others think about us than what God thinks about us, we may be living from a shallow spirituality. When we ignore or we suppress the more difficult emotions, such as anger or sadness, we call them bad emotions. We may be living from a shallow 
spirituality. When we spiritualize away conflict and cover it up with truisms, right, which is, we're part of, like, we do that. That's what churches do because we want to be nice. When we cover up conflict with truisms, we may be living out of a shallow discipleship. When we deny or we minimize how the past impacts who we are in the present, we may be living from a shallow discipleship. When our primary posture is doing for God rather than being with God, we may be living from a shallow spirituality. And I've said this from the beginning. I don't want this for us. I don't want a shallow church. That's easy. It is so easy with, and not for nothing, like with such a talented and beautiful group, like it's easy to put on a show. I don't want a shallow faith for this church. I don't want a small discipleship for you. I don't want you to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. I don't want you to be driven by what drives the culture. I want you to be strangely different. I want you to make your decisions based on the gospel. I want you to think differently and act differently and speak differently because the gospel has gone deep into your marrow and your bones. And it's not just something that you look at, but it's something that you look through. The joy that we miss out. We miss out on the joy of a greater and a deeper experience of the Father's love. We miss out on the joy of seeing our own lives as the conduit of God's work and grace and renewal in the world. We miss out on the joy of how to learn to love well. In other words, when we live with a shallow discipleship, a shallow spirituality, we fail to embody the greatest commandment, that is to love God and to love others. That's why we exist, to learn how to love God and love others. And when we live with a shallow discipleship, we fail to love God and we fail to love others. And we, more so, we fail to offer the world anything. We, we fail to offer the world a beautiful alternative for the stories that they live according to. And the sad part is this, it doesn't have to be this. You may feel stuck now but it doesn't have to be this way. We don't need to remain in the shallow, and we can actually, each and every one of us, I don't care what you've been through, I don't care who you are, I don't care what kind of personal hangups you may have, each and every one of us can learn how to love God and love others for the sake of the world. And so I wanna go back, what is it? It is a way of life that helps us to abide in the love of God by remaining present to God ourselves and others. That's what it is. Why do we need it? I want to say this. We need it because we cannot claim and we cannot become spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Right? We, we, we cannot say that we are spiritually mature people. We cannot move into spiritual maturity while remaining emotionally immature. That can't happen. And the reason, and, and how do we get it? As I said in the beginning, we'll be running the courses later on in the year, but broadly speaking, how can we as a church move? How can we as a church uh, uh, position ourselves? What postures do we need to take in order to become emotionally healthy disciples. I want to say this, that broadly speaking, David here in Psalm 139 is helpful. He says uh, this 
when he, uh, when, when he opens up Psalm 139, he says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Let me get this up here. You have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, David said, is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and light be about me night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the sky for darkness is as light with you. Remember, emotionally healthy discipleship is about remaining present to God, present to ourselves for the sake of the world. And David is hyper aware that God is present to him. He knows that God is intimately involved with every single detail of his mouth. Before language moves from David's posterior superior temporal lobe, where language is formed, before it moves from that part of the brain down into his tongue, God knows what he's about to say. If David goes up to heaven, God is there. If David goes down to the place of death, Sheol, God is there even in the grave. If David goes out to sea, which by the way, for, uh, uh, for the Jewish people, they were not seafaring people. They would not go out to sea. The same word for west, which is where the sea was, is the same word for evil that they use in their language. That is how much they did not like water. I vibe with them. I'm, not, I'm a land animal. Even in the place where there is chaos and evil, where the sea monsters are, even, God, even there, even the place where God is not supposed to be, even there God is. Even in the dark, the kind of dark that you can feel is light to God, David is saying. He's hyper aware that God is always present to him. And I wonder, I wonder if we are actually practicing this more than we think. God is there always. He is, there's no place you can go. I mean, Jonah missed out on this chapter when he thought he was fleeing the presence of God by going to Tarshish. There's no place you can go. There is no place you can be. There's nowhere. There's no state of mind that you can be in. I know all of us, and if not yet, then you will. You will feel the moment where you feel God has deserted you, where he is not there, where he is silent, where heaven becomes an iron dome. Even there, he is there. Psalm 73 says that even when I was a brute beast before you, when I had no sense in me, even then you were there. But God's presence isn't just about God being present after you're born, because he'll go on to say, in this psalm from verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. And so even, even when we were not yet formed, Catherine is 35 and 4 today, that, that little girl is being formed and knit together by God's hand. Like even then, God knows the days exactly what he's going to give her. Exactly. And does he not know you? We, we worry so much. I, I worry. Let me, let me not put you, on the, you know, in, 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 in the hot seat. I worry so much of, about things that if I believed this, if I knew this, not only in my mind, but in my heart, in my bones, that we wouldn't worry about. God knows you. You are safe. You are no safer today than you will be in eternity in his presence. Do you know that? You are in no more danger now than you will be in his presence. Even as you're being formed inside the womb of your mother, God is there. God is near. God is present. God is working. He is hyper aware of God's presence in his life. And he knows this. He knows, and, he want, and he's awake to the presence of God. And so the very first way that we are going to grow as emotionally healthy disciples is to do just that, is become aware of the presence of God. It, it, it sounds, it, it's both something so deep and something so beautiful is, is also very simple, and yet, and yet, and yet, we work all of our lives to wake up to the presence of God. The first way that we're going to grow in our emotional health is by growing in our awareness that we are always and forever in the presence of God. We may have, you may have heard language like we invite the presence of God. We, we don't invite the presence of God. We invite God to wake us up to, for us to realize that he is already there, that God is always near, whether we feel it or not. And I don't want to say that flippantly because I have been through dark nights. I have felt God disappear. I don't say that flippantly for us. But even when we don't feel it, God is there. Whether we realize it or not, whether we like it or not, sometimes we don't want God to be there. He's always near. And our work is then by the Spirit to grow in that awareness that we get now to become present to Him. That's why we never talk again about inviting the presence of God here. God is already here. He's inviting us. We need to be awakened to the fact that he's already here and already inviting us to enjoy him. Oftentimes, oftentimes for us, at least in my experience, don't, don't judge me as your pastor, but it's like, it, it's as if we've said yes to a dinner invitation and we show up, you know, to a host who's cooked a 10-course Thanksgiving feast we come in with our cheap $5 bottle of wine, we set it down, and we proceed to sit in the corner and just scroll our phones all day. That's what our spirituality feels like sometimes. God is inviting us to a feast, and yet we, we soak ourselves with distraction and worry that actually takes us away. We're there technically, but we're not there. 
We've prayed the prayer, we've walked down the aisle, we've adopted the faith of our parents, we've been baptized, maybe we've gone through growth track, we've said yes to all, to going all in and fo for following Jesus, yet spiritually we're caught in a corner giving our host no attention whatsoever. Like, is this just me, right? That, that has had, had that, that's detected and has cultivated unhealth in my soul, that I forget to be present to the presence of God in my life? And so the first thing that I want us to grow in this year is to learn how to be present and awake to the presence of God. And that's not a controversial, but the second thing that emotionally health uh, entails is not about something we hear too much about at, at church. It's something that our culture has made an idol of, and so we don't know what to do with it, right? So when it, whenever, uh, uh, cult, you know, culture and church over the last 500 years have had a bit of a divorce, and if you're part of, if you're a child of divorce, it's messy, right? And things get split up, right? Someone gets a car, someone gets a kid, someone gets a house. When the church and culture divorced, when Christendom was over, it, it seems to be that the culture got the self, right? And at church, when we start talking about self, we think we're going Oprah-esque, or we think we're going New Age. But it's incredibly important to pay attention to the self. Christianity, following Jesus, is not just about Jesus, right? We say it's all about Jesus, yet in some sense it is. But where does Jesus live? Where, where, has, where has the Holy Spirit decided to make residence in your life? in you. And we find God now residing within us. It is important for us to understand ourselves, to grow in awareness of ourselves. In fact, the great French reformer John Calvin said this in his two-volume work called The Christian Institutes. He said, nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves, but while joined by many bonds, which one proceeds and brings forth the other is not easy to discern. This is what he's saying. You want to grow up to be a mature follower of Jesus? Pay attention to what God is doing and pay attention to what's happening in your soul. Pay attention to yourself. But some of us may not believe that a deep knowledge of self is necessary to become a disciple of Jesus. For a couple reasons. First, we don't like the ambiguity that we find when we go in. We're not neat people, right? We're full of mess. We're full of both shadow and light. We're both, we're full of ambiguities, and we don't like ambiguity. We say things like, the old has gone, the new has come. In a sense, that's very true, but maybe not in the way that you think. The old is still moving out. The moving boxes are still in the living room. There's still a lot of renovations to do in my own soul. I don't know about you. Maybe you're done, right? Maybe you're a finished product. Maybe you can go on the market and you're done. You're good. Me? There's still mess. That's why Paul calls us to put to death the old self and put on Christ. The reality is we don't like ambiguity. And so we don't look in. And that leaves us emotionally stunted. Second, we're given to overreactions. We see and we have experienced a culture that is obsessed 
with the psychological quote-unquote self and we end up throwing out the perfectly good and healthy baby with the dirty bathwater. We're afraid of the unknown, of the messiness, of the ambiguity, and we overreact to the culture. But the reality is that if we're going to grow up in Christ this year, we need a deep knowledge of God and a knowledge of self, which is another way to say that we need to become emotionally attuned and healthy disciples for the sake of the world. And so, and we're so lost that we could never hope to navigate that interior landscape without the enlightening help of the Holy Spirit. And this is where David goes when he says this in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is, is saying this, I'm present to you, but now show me me. I'm present to you, but show me me. And what happens when we pray the prayers, Lord, show me me, what we realize is that we're exploring the landscape where the Holy Spirit dwells. We begin to explore God's own residence, the place where he has decided to make his home in, and we learn to navigate what is happening inside of us and the forces that have shaped us. Listen, listen, I know we all get along, sort of, right? Right? Okay, can I say that? Can I be real for, for just a moment? There's, there's mess in this room, right? There are reactions that even surprise you about, oh, I didn't know I could feel this way about someone. I didn't know I could say that about someone. I, I didn't know I could, why am I responding this way? It's sort of, you know when you meet someone's parents and you're like, oh, that's why they're so messed up, right? And until, until we can look in the mirror and look at our past and look at our history and say, oh, that's why I'm so messed up. That and, and with, the, with the specificity of language that we can bring to our problems is the greater specificity of the cure that the gospel can apply to our lives. We can posture ourselves, we can posture our hearts to receive and become attentive to God and we can take up practices that will help us uh, to attune our minds and our bodies to his presence, which is where we live. And so, we get emotionally healthy spirituality first by becoming aware of the presence of God in our lives. We go up, as it were. And then we become aware. We're, we're, we're safe now to go in, as it were. And when that happens, when we become people who are attuned to God and attuned to what God is doing in our specific lives, we unleash a great force in the world. When we are a people who stay close to God and who become, listen to this, self-aware. Self-aware. Like when we become self-aware and we become God-aware, we are a great gift to this world. And so, what, what is it? I want to remind us, emotionally healthy discipleship is a way of life that helps us abide in the love of God by remaining present to God, remaining present to ourselves and others for the sake of the world. We need it because it is impossible to become um, uh, spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And now, as I end, how do we get it? We get, we get it, we, we grow in this. And this is not something that we're gonna master in a year or maybe even a decade. 
And, and maybe that turns you off because we, we live in such an instant age where we need to master something quickly. One simple way, one simple tool that I want to give you today that I actually want to practice here today is, is simply called, it's an old prayer called the prayer of examine that I want us to go through together in just a moment. And it's basically five steps that we take at the end of our days to grow in what God is, grow in our awareness of what God is doing, growing in our awareness of what's happening inside of us. The first one is we relish the good. We, we want to say thank you to God. We ask God to reveal his graces to us. Where can we point out the blessings from the day? We ask the question, what was good in my day, in your day? We relish the good. And then we request the Spirit. We ask for His help to help us, to, to remind us that we are actually safe to look at our own mess, where, we can, where He can remind us about Romans 8, 1, where there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because let me tell you, when I do this and when I look at my day and when I preview my life sometimes, I, I think there's got to be condemnation. But in Christ... We are reminded by the Spirit that there is therefore now no condemnation. And that's why we can move out and ask the Spirit to be near to me and reveal me to me. Because we are safe. And then we review the day. What's happened during that day? What's going on underneath the surface? What, what, was, what was behind that reaction of yours? Right? That emotional reaction of yours. What was behind that? We, we ask specifically, what were my triggers today? Like, what, what, what happened? Why did I speak that way? Why did I respond that way? Why did I feel this? And oftentimes, what you're going to find is this. You're going to find, if, if, if you're beginning on this journey, what you will find is that it will be confusing. You, you will not know whether you were sad or mad. You, you, you're going to find trouble putting language to the things that you're feeling, and that's okay. It is absolutely okay to not be able to, in the beginning, name the feelings you're feeling, because most of us have been taught to just kind of cover it up. You can't feel sad, or you, you can't do anger. I remember as a kid, uh, I was scolded for, for being sad. Like, it's you're sin like it was a sin to be sad, because don't you know you live in God's world, right? Like, and so uh, I, I was taught to not be, it was bad to be sad, right? And, and I couldn't really show sadness. And so when you begin this journey, it's going to be very difficult for some of us to actually note and to, to say that this is actually what I am feeling. What were your triggers today? Repent of any wrongdoing. Repentance, I want to remind us, is not a religious dirty word. Repentance is an invitation to recalibrate our lives and our hearts towards God. And we ask the question, where have I sinned this day? And then we resolve to live well. How does God want me to respond to what he's just showed me about himself and about myself in the morning? And I, listen, this is so simple that maybe you don't even think it's going to be helpful, or maybe you don't even think it's, it's actually going to be that explosive. We do this as a community. In the long term, we will become a force to be reckoned with in this world. The devil will take note because we will become people who are aware of what God is doing in our lives and aware of what God is doing in the world all for the sake of the world. And all of this, we do all of this. We pursue emotionally healthy discipleship with the knowledge that none of this gains the Father's approval for you. 
We, we must move from the Father's approval, not for it. That's a world of difference. It's a world of difference to say, I, I need to do these things. I need to become emotionally mature or spiritually mature so that the Father would love me. This is us working out of his love, not for it. And so, with all of that said, I'm going to invite the band up. And as they begin to play, I want to lead us in a prayer of examine today. And so as you grab communion uh, and bring it back uh, and take that at your own time, I, I actually want us to pause and practice this. I don't want you to run out of here, say, okay, maybe, maybe that's going to be helpful tonight. Let's, let's at least get one run on the board as we begin the year. Let's do this. Let's do this together. And so I'm, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to sort of guide us to, uh, through this prayer. Um, I'll say amen, and then we'll sing together. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for your goodness. And I ask that you would now help us to relish the good. That you would help us bring to mind what has been good so far in the past 12 hours. Help us to give thanks to you, O oh God. Bring, bring up, Lord, bring up, Holy Spirit, the times where we have felt joy in this day. Bring up for us your blessings in our lives, the million blessings that go unnoticed. Form in us thankfulness. Help us to, to taste and to see that you, in fact, are good and all the gifts that you've given us, may we worship you through them. May our worship not terminate in them, but flow through them to you. Help us to relish the good. And even now as we pause, Lord, to look within, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be near. We ask that you would awaken us to your presence. We bring to mind Acts 17, where Paul says that we have our life and our being in you. you. You are our environment. We live in you now. Our life is hidden with God in Christ. We don't pretend to understand that. But somehow we are hidden in you. And so uh, awaken us to the power that we have by your spirit. And even as we think about our day, we think about our reactions, even on the way over here, even as we entered into this room, what was happening in our bodies and our minds, our reactions, our stress. Lord, bring to mind what is happening inside of our bodies. Help us to name with greater specificity what's going on inside of us. And we repent. And we pray for your forgiveness. We repent.
we turn. We're renewed. Even as we say sorry to you for the things that we've done and the things that we've left undone, even as metaphorically we sit in ashes and dust and sackcloth now, repenting of the ways that we have broken your heart and your law and the way that we have hurt others, we do that in a place of safety. We do that in a place where we don't have to hide. We do that from a place where we don't have to run. We do that from a place where we do not have to pretend to be what we aren't because we're safe and we're sorry. And we pray that you would give us all the resolve we need to live worthy of the gospel. We pray that you give us everything we need to live worthy of your name. That as we carry about the name Christian, little Christ, Christ follower, would we in fact, in reality, in our responses, in our interactions with others, may we love well. May we be loved so well by you, God. May we understand the love with which you have loved us with, that we are equipped with everything we need to love others well, even sacrificially. Help us to live well. All of this, all of this, with the knowledge that there is nothing, not even our immaturity, that will separate us from the love of God. We help, we, we ask that you would help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen.